everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. I just, I would, I would love for you guys to grab a Bible if you didn't off of the back wall or if you did bring one to open up to Numbers chapter 6. I think if you're like 12 and under, this is actually a really important thing to learn, how to find passages in the Bible. And if, if you're anything like me, I like to do something with my hands. So if you're a parent, I would encourage your kids to bring their Bible, uh, the Bibles that are in the back or the Bibles that look like this that I use that uh, say Jesus centered on them. It's an NLT translation. Those, those page numbers will be up on the screen. Can I throw these sunglasses to somebody that's good at catching? Nice. Go bird. That's, that's a lot more. <laughs> that catch just equaled 25% of the total number of catches that the 49ers had last week. It was tragic. I'm happy for the Eagles. Okay. Uh, so at the end of our services, we, I've been doing this actually for a lot longer than the last month. I, I raise my hands and I, I pronounce a blessing over you. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And this is something I was excited to study because I hoped I would understand it a little bit more. Because I feel like it's more than just words. Don't you? Uh, but I, I'm, I've been trying to figure out exactly what happens uh, when we bless each other, either in church or outside of church, because the Bible gives us lots of examples of blessings that happen between fathers and sons. Uh, God blesses people, of course. People bless God. Sometimes people bless food. Uh, Jesus, of course, commands us to bless those who curse you. So blessing and being a people of blessing is actually very significant for people who want to follow Jesus and live a life like Jesus. But what does it mean when we bless? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remind you what we said about communion, first of all. So I have this little chart, and there's a spectrum of what people have uh, said happens when we take communion. On the one hand, there's like this transformation of the bread and the wine. When Jesus says, this is my bread and this is, or this bread is my body and this cup is my blood. Some people believe that that bread and cup actually transform, even if it's underneath the elements into the body and blood of Jesus. On the other side of the spectrum, which is more the materialistic view of how communion would work, is to just say it's purely symbol. It's a way we remember. It's an intellectual exercise. And what I said about communion is there's this mysterious middle that actually has its roots around the time of the Reformation that says there's something spiritually real that happens. The real presence of Jesus comes to us as we take communion, and it nourishes our very souls. And so when we take communion, as we will do today, as we will do every Sunday going forward, there's a, there's a spiritual happening. Something is happening inside of us that God is giving to us. And I would put the idea of blessing or benediction uh, on the same sort of spectrum. On the one hand, you have people who just say, oh, these are nice, encouraging words. It's kind of like sentimental. It gives me some warm fuzzies inside. On the other side of the spectrum, I think some people can be very superstitious. And I would say generally, 
Our culture lives in both camps simultaneously, on both ends of the spectrum. We're very materialistic. Our view is that what you see is what there is. And so we tend to say, like, when you bless someone, it's just a nice thing to do, while at the same time believing that if we wear our socks inside out, that will have something to do with the Eagles scoring more touchdowns. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, like, on the superstitious side, there's this, this can take on religious, though, energy and power. So, like, on the one hand, you have people jumping in and exploring witchcraft and like these are magic words and if I say them I release like this power into the room through a through a curse for instance or through a blessing like my words can actually uh, take on this supernatural new age you know almost like shooting lasers out of your hand sort of sort of energy Uh, like Iron Man for instance but Anyway, but, but it comes a little more subtly in some, some strains of Christianity that, have you ever heard of the name it, claim it folk? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name this to be true, and the, in the, by the power of God, I will get this car that I've always wanted. And uh, even if it doesn't happen, sometimes people trick themselves. Like, I'm driving the car in the spirit, you know? Like, I, when I pray, for, when I name healing in somebody, even if it doesn't happen, it's just because we don't have enough faith. And that's actually, I think that's scary, dangerous stuff. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to find this middle ground of there's something spiritual that happens. There's a real meet, there's a real means of grace. There's like a tunnel where God's grace flows to us, but it's neither simply nice words, neither is it superstition. And so we're going to read today as uh, my friend Lumi comes up from Numbers chapter 6. I would invite you guys to stand up. This is just one of the ways that we honor God. We believe he's actually here with us uh, and that these are his words. And you've probably heard these words from Numbers chapter 6 before, but come on forward, Lumi. There you go. Numbers 6, 23 to 27. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons to bless the people of Israel with this special blessing. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, I myself will bless them. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. And so let me just pray again. May these words settle into our hearts to give us life. We believe, God, that you are present to us right now. And so come, Holy Spirit. We ask that while, while we believe you're everywhere all the time, that there's something about your attention, your loving gaze on us that fills our very hearts and enlivens our spirits. So as I speak, we pray that that would happen more because you're here. Amen. There's some pretty poignant words in that blessing. Did you catch any of them? What, what words stand out to you in Numbers chapter 6? Just shout them out. Protection. Something at some level, if we don't feel safe, it's very hard to do life. If we don't feel safe, we are full of anxiety all the time, wondering, 
You know, like, and on the one hand, is that lion going to eat us? Or on the other hand, is the stock market going to fall? Like there's, and then there's everything in between of like, well, this isn't a real threat, but I feel really nervous about it. So protection, what else? It's the name of the Lord is spoken in this blessing three times. And that's actually pretty significant uh, because three is a, is a number that comes through over and over and over in the Bible. And for people who like believe an Orthodox Christian faith, like we actually believe that God is one God in three persons. If you take the name of Yahweh, that's the Hebrew word for God, uh, name of God, out and count the Hebrew words in this passage, there are 12, which is another significant number. That's just a little nerdy factoid for you. 12 tribes of Israel, right? So 12 words plus, plus three times the name of the Lord is said. Uh, what else? What words here carry a real punch for you? Peace. This is the Hebrew word. Anybody know? Shalom. So if you come to the vineyard very often, again, there's a lot of nerdy information that comes to you. This is the word shalom. And this is more than just absence of war. This is flourishing. This is, in a way, this is a description of blessing. This is harmony, wholeness, right relationship with each other, with God, with creation, with our stuff. So the stuff hasn't become idols in our hearts. It's been good gifts that we receive from God and give gratitude for and enjoy. Like shalom is like the spectrum of flourishing. What else? What's that? Favor. Uh, so favor is, let me look, let me make sure this is the right translation here. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Yes. So the word favor and grace are usually synonyms. In this case, the word favor is not in the Hebrew but it describes an action of God, which I will get to in just a second. But the word favor kind of links up, I think, with that word grace. What did you say, Donna? Light? Oh, like, uh, the, the, may the Lord smile on you in the NLT. So is that, is that what you're looking at in verse uh, 25? Yeah, so some of us are familiar with other Bible translations that use different words, especially for where it says smile. The word smile is not in the Hebrew. Neither is the word uh, show you his favor because these are both actions of God's face. So let me talk about that for a second. Uh, the reason the English often comes through differently is because they're trying to get at what God's face is doing. So in the first case, some of you know the words, may the Lord turn his face towards you and shine on you. And so functionally, here's what's happening. Like if so, like there's a, the idea that God's face lights up, like he actually turns his loving gaze towards you. And it's not just, it's not the stern face that some of us expect God to have when he looks at us. It's, it's delight. It's smile. I have a six month old baby. Ooh, another little baby just came in. Like if you look at that baby and smile, the baby smiles back most of the time. It's got, the baby has to be really fussy for that not to be the case. And even it's funny because they'll be like, wah, wah, and you're like, hey kid. She's like, ah. You know, like, but, but the idea that the loving look of a parent toward a child is the, that's the, that's part of the blessing. Like in substance, that is what is happening. And the other one, so the, the turn his face towards you and smile on you 
his face lights up. The other one is maybe contrasted from uh, what happens if you look at someone in the eye and then you look down. What does that communicate? If I, if I, look, you, if I look at you and then look down. I'm disappointed. I'm ashamed. I'm, or maybe I'm really upset. Like, if you're married, you've probably had this experience where you don't even want to look at the other person. Like, there's something really wrong. But that's not what this is saying. It's saying the opposite. This is, again, imagine someone's reading a book, or maybe more realistically, they're looking at their phone. And you walk into the room, and you don't even say anything, but they, they look up at you. That's the movement of God's face. I see you. And so this blessing has to do with the peace of God, the protection of God, the grace of God, but also the gaze of God in two very powerful ways. I am smiling at you, I am, and I am, I'm glad to be with you. I had a hard time finding a lot of theological reflection on blessing or on benediction. So what we're going to do here in a second is we're going to actually start at the very beginning of the Bible and not look at every place the Bible talks about blessing because we don't have time, but we're going to hit some of the big points or as many as I have time for. But before we do that, there was a Jewish rabbi uh, that I read who said something that I I thought was very profound. So this is uh, next slide, I think. He says, blessings are a portal to the infinite. And he says in another place, or a conduit to spiritual and physical benefit, blessing, goodness. So to put it another way, it's as if when we bless people, maybe this is the mysterious middle. When we bless people, it's like we open up the window to heaven just to crack and let God's flourishing, his peace, his grace, his love, his gaze shine through on somebody. So I have, I have no magic powers to bless you. But when I bless you, it is like opening up a window to heaven, a conduit to God's blessing, a portal to infinity so that God might pour out life and prosperity on you. And when I say prosperity, I got to be careful because I don't think that the Bible's blessing has anything to do with having someone below the poverty line jumping to middle class or from middle class to upper class. I, I mean, it has something to do with basic needs being met of having enough, but it doesn't have anything to do with like American advancement in terms of socioeconomic um, fervor, because <laughs> I think that's the best word for it. So I want someone under 12 to answer this question. When is the first time that we find blessing in the Bible? Who knows? When is the first time we find blessing in the Bible? Yes. Oh, you forgot. Shoot. That's what happens. Sometimes everybody looks at you and it just things fly out of your brain. I'll give you a clue. It's in Genesis chapter 128. So open your Bibles there. It happens really early. It's the first blessing. Who's doing the blessing? Who knows? Maggie. Yes, so God makes Adam and then he blesses Adam. What does he say to Adam and Eve? Ah, Liam. 
Yeah, so part of the blessing is you can eat from whatever tree you want. Of course, not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But before that, he says something that adults really like. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. Uh, like that's, that's baby making. Like make babies and create culture and rule, have, have reign or dominion. So Genesis 1.28. Do you even need a page number to find that one? Uh, got it. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, look, I have given you every seed bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. In blessing, God is actually giving Adam and Eve what? The ability to create life. The, the authority to govern. These are things that God has done and like it's his to give. The ability to create life, to enjoy life, and to have dominion or to reign. It's like Adam and Eve were kings and queens and in a way, we all have a little bit of king or queen in us because God has given us things that we're responsible for. Jump ahead to Genesis chapter 12. This is another place where God does the blessing. How many of you guys know about Abraham? Kids, you guys know about Abraham? What do you know about Abraham? He was good. He trusted God. That's true. So... Uh, God makes a promise to Abraham and he blesses him here in Genesis 12. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, this was his name before, right? You guys know this. Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your, you famous or other translations say, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So here we have actually a person who becomes, he says, you, you will be a blessing. You will be the conduit for the infinite. You know why he says that to Abraham? Because let's see, let's say a few thousand years later, his great, 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 great grandson is... Kids? Yeah, that's all. If you don't know, just yell out Jesus. That's right. That's good. Okay. So Abraham has a son named, well, great, 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 great grandson. <laughs> right. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Very good. So if you jump ahead to Genesis chapter, uh, what, what, what is it? 27. Uh, something you guys maybe know about Abraham is he has two sons. They're born at the same time, so that means they're twins. But Esau comes out first, Jacob comes out second. And we find that uh, Isaac, their dad, actually shows favor, prefers Esau. So he's kind of like the Thor, he-man guy. And Jacob is kind of like Loki, if you are into Marvel. Uh, you know, he's like kind of crafty, a little sneaky. Um, and so you know that, if you know the story, Jacob dresses up, in uh, like goat skin, 
fur, and so Isaac can't see very well, and, and, and he, does he put on Esau's clothes, is that right? So he smells like Esau, and he feels like Esau, and, uh, and so Isaac mistakenly blesses Jacob instead of Esau, and Esau comes in, and he's hot mad. In verse 34 of chapter 27, it says, when Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud and bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me too, he begged. But Isaac said, your brother was here and he tricked me. He has taken away your blessing. Esau exclaimed, no wonder his name is Jacob, for now he has cheated me twice. That's another story. First, he took my rights as the firstborn, and now he has stolen my blessing. Oh, haven't you even saved one blessing for me? Isaac said to Esau, I have made Jacob your master, and I have declared that all his brothers will be his servants. I have guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine. What is left for me to give you, my son? But Esau pleaded, but do you have only one blessing? Oh, my father, bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, you will live away from the richness of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. You will live by your sword and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. Isaac gets something really wrong here because he believes that blessing has tight limitations around it. There's like a scarcity mindset when it comes to God's goodness and what he can do. And he even has a scarcity. I think it comes out of his heart of, I, I gave more love to one son than the other. And it created this mess. It created this conflict between the two brothers so that it may be, I mean, this blessing for Esau actually sounds a little bit like a curse to me. And maybe this is what uh, Isaac intended for Jacob. It's possible. Um, and so you see this, there's this broken relationship and this, this misrepresentation of what blessing is designed to do. And, it, and Jacob stole it in part because he wasn't getting any love from his son. So the normal way of, you know, ancient Near Eastern, in the olden days, kids, is that it's the first, firstborn son who, like, gets the best stuff. They get the land and they get most of the goats and most of the cows and the house and, and everything. Um, but, and then they get put in charge. That's not how it works anymore, even though I'm the firstborn. I'm the oldest of brothers. It only sort of works that way. Anyway, uh, the, here, here's the thing. And this is, I, I want to I put this out here because it's important for parents to hear as we bless our children. First of all, we must bless our children. And this is, this is part of the bigger picture of like, we actually, we all need to do a little more blessing and less cursing, a little more encouraging and less criticizing. Uh, because of the power of our words. Like even if we take out the mysterious middle, the power of our words can devastate our children if we tear them down. Um, but to use Kurt Thompson's quote, uh, some of you know him. He's the author of Soul of Shame. Some of you have read that book. It's, it's dense, but good. He says, we're all born looking for someone looking for us. And this is what Jacob did not have. And because of, well... He ultimately finds it in wrestling with God. He finds that even as he is cast out of his home and despised by now, not only his father, but his brother, that God is protecting him and providing him 
all that he needs. And that as he makes his own mistakes and meanders through, he ends up having 12 sons that would become out of their children and their children's children, the 12 tribes of Israel. And so Jacob learns something. He gets something a little bit more right about blessing than his father Isaac did. So if you jump all the way ahead to Genesis chapter uh, 49, you find that Jacob actually blesses all 12 of his sons. Some of them are a little bit edgy, especially for our ears. You might say he's speaking a little truth, and we don't know what he's meaning by that truth. When, Like, for instance, <laughs> in 49, uh, chapter 3, Reuben, you are my firstborn son, my strength, the child of my vigorous youth. You are first in rank and first in power, but you are as unruly as a flood, and you will be first no longer. So, like, I, okay. <laughs> My favorite one, I would like to be Asher in this list. So if you jump over to verse 20, that's a turn of the page. Do you guys know what Asher gets blessed with? This sounds great. Asher will dine on rich foods and produce food fit for kings. Sounds pretty good. Uh, but if you jump down to verse 26, you find like this is, th this is where he still goes wrong. And if you know the story of Jacob and Joseph, you find this causes trouble as well. But he still has a favorite son. And so the best blessing is saved for him. May my fatherly blessing on you surpass the blessing of my ancestors. Reaching to the heights of the eternal hills, may these blessings rest on the head of Joseph, who is a prince among his brothers. And then, but, but it does say, if you jump down to 28, these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said as he told his sons goodbye. He blessed each one of them. So each of them get a blessing with, this translation says, an appropriate message. So he's saying, maybe he's giving warnings about some of the character flaws he sees, but everybody gets a blessing. And so, again, parents, bless your children and bless them generously and don't play favorites. And just again, to draw from Jewish rabbinic tradition, uh, they actually, oh, I forget the number now. I think it was 100. According to Jewish tradition, it is a requirement that each of us give 100 blessings a day. Blessing God, blessing each other, blessing our children. Like, of course, we're not legalists here, but what if we blessed someone 100 times today? What would happen to your own heart and everybody around you? You'd be giving them life. They would be experiencing grace you would almost, it'd be like if you blessed them, like an intent, intent, like this is, I'm blessing you, they're my words, but it's God's gifts. I'm opening the window to heaven. That would be a powerful, amazing thing to do that would show Jesus' love. Okay, so we got to fast forward and jump over some of the like, kind of weirder blessings of the Old Testament. We'll even, we'll even jump over uh, the blessing that Mary gets when she hears God's voice and obeys it. And we'll jump over the blessing uh, that Jesus commands when he says, bless those who curse you all the way through Jesus' death and resurrection to the end of the book of Luke to Luke chapter 20. I actually have these things written in my Bible, but I start turning my page for, before I look. Luke 24. 
It's the very end of Luke 24, verse 50. I somehow have read over this all the times I've read my Bible and read Luke. So we all we know, if we know the basic story of Jesus, that Jesus dies, he's resurrected, and then he goes into heaven. Like he actually opens up the window and jumps through it, <laughs> in, a, in a manner of speaking. Um, it, and he ascends into heaven. But what he does before that, we often remember his words, I will be with you always, which is maybe actually the content of what is said here in Luke 24. But listen, listen to what it says. Then Jesus led them to Bethany, lifting his hands to heaven. He blessed them. I didn't actually know why I raised my hands when I blessed. I just knew that that's the thing that pastors do. In fact, the church I came from before you were ordained, you like weren't allowed to raise your hands during the blessing. So we, we seminarians would always like bless people like down here, just like not above the waist. Uh, but anyway, sorry, that's a side story. Uh, Jesus raises his hand in blessing. While he was blessing them, he left them and he was taken up to heaven. So they worshiped him and then returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And that's how they spent all of their time. Oh, and then they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. And so what's interesting is if you look at the actual Greek, it says Jesus blesses them, and then they go to the temple and they begin blessing God. It's almost like this reciprocal, God blesses them and the blessing gets returned in terms of like worship and gratitude and thanksgiving and reflecting God's glory back to him. It's like this cool infinite loop of blessing. But this, this little text would have reminded all of the Jewish readers of something that happens back in Leviticus, our favorite book here in the vineyard. So Jesus blesses his disciples, but he's drawing out some imagery from Leviticus chapter 9. So this is a big turn back to the left. You guys with me? Now, Remember in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, the people of Israel are where? In the desert. I mean, they're in Egypt for a little bit there, but mostly they're in the desert. They're in the wilderness. It's very vulnerable. It's very dangerous. And so the words, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face towards you and give you peace come at a time of great vulnerability, risk of suffering, uh, uncertainty in a sense, and yet presence. And here we have an example of this blessing being given. Leviticus 9 verse 22. After that, uh, wait, wait. Yes. After that, Aaron raised his hands toward the people, and he blessed them. Then after presenting the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offering, he stepped down from the altar. Then Moses and Aaron went back into the tabernacle, and when they came out, they blessed the people again, and the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole community. Fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and consumed the burnt offering, the fat on the altar. And when the people saw this, they shouted with joy and they fall face down on the ground. What are they doing there? They're worshiping. 
And so Jesus, at his ascension, does just what Aaron does. And here's what he's making sure we remember. He is that sin sacrifice. The atonement is linked to this blessing. The idea that God forgives our sins and wants relationship with us to fill us with joy, to be with us, to be present to us. When it says Moses and Aaron go into the tabernacle, that's, that's the representation. You're going into God's house. You're sitting at God's table. Not, not just to worship, but to, to feast, to enjoy, to be with God. And after being with God, after, you know, they've experienced, they've acted out, in a sense, God's forgiveness, and they've been with him, and they, they, they bless people again, because wouldn't you? If you have this just overflowing, amazing encounter with God, and it says the, the glory of God, that like the, the fire, the spirit, the, the power of God comes out and meets the entire community. And so I'm, I want to encourage you to seek more of God's blessing and to bless others. Because this, this idea of heaven opening up and God meeting us, this, this is the stuff. This is what we have to give to our friends, to our family, to our church members, even to politicians and people at work. Interesting story uh, it's Jacob blesses Pharaoh twice at the end of Jacob's life when he comes to Egypt. Bless those who curse you. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.